0: Bible, I would love for you to make your way to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew racks around you. They should be there. And our passage today is found on page 861. So, Luke chapter 5, I'll give you just a moment to make your way there. We're going to look at verses 27 through 32 this morning. Let's pray. our great confidence is that your word works, that it never returns void, but it accomplishes the purpose that you have sent it forth for. And so I pray this morning as we read your word, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and as your spirit's at work, that you would do a work within us. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, soften our hearts, and uh, make us receptive to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, Luke, Luke 5 through 32. This is God's holy word. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table. Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners and Jesus answered them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance may God write his word upon our hearts so I want you to spend the next 30 minutes thinking about food some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, I do that every week during the sermon. Why is, this, why is this any different? Let me clarify. Don't just think about food or think about today's lunch. I, I want you to think about specifically the joy of a shared meal. The joy of, of a shared meal. As Chris mentioned uh, in his prayer, in a few days, most of you will gather with family and It's it's probably my favorite holiday. What do you love most about it? Football? There's a lot of football. Family? There's a recent survey that came out, and the respondents said the thing they love most about Thanksgiving is the food, it's it's the meals. Um, I find it interesting that spending time with family came in at number five, just below the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. sure what that says. I bet, though, that if most of you were to make a list of things you love most about Thanksgiving, family and food would come in at the top. There's something special about a Thanksgiving meal. There's actually something holy. But it's not just Thanksgiving, it's the meals that we share about all of the significant moments in your life that have happened around the dinner table or at a meal. I uh, I proposed to Kimba at our favorite restaurant in Dallas. And so that restaurant and that meal will be forever linked in my mind to our life together. About four years ago, Matt Pyle and Jason and I, we went to Atoka, Oklahoma, and I met Ethan for the first time. And we interviewed him and got to know him so that meal is special, not as special as the one that I proposed to Kimbo, but um, but these significant moments and relationships that are formed and forged and, and and significant moments that happen around food and over meals, and as we enter this season of Thanksgiving and leading into Advent and. Son of Man came uh, performing miracles and preaching the gospel? Would you say the Son of Man came to die on a cross? All of those statements are true, but in the New Testament, that sentence ends three different ways. First, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 1910, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I think most interestingly, uh, Luke 734, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to give his life and to save the lost. The third is a statement of method. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. You can hardly turn a page in the Gospels without finding Jesus sharing a meal with someone. Have you ever noticed that? Author Robert Karras writes, in Luke's Gospel particularly, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. We're going to spend the next five or six weeks uh, in Luke's Gospel. Luke 5 today, Luke 7 next week, Luke 11, Luke 14. uh, and, And looking at some of these significant meals. In fact... Eating and drinking and sharing meals with others were such a significant part of Jesus' life and ministry that the Pharisees said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Of course, Jesus wasn't a glutton. He didn't make food an idol. And he wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't controlled or given over to wine. But he spent so much of his time stopped at verse 32. But notice what the next verse says. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. That's how they're known. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. You know, what an interesting observation that Jesus is known as a glutton and a drunkard, not not because of his overindulgence, but because food was so central to his life and ministry and he's constantly sharing meals with others. And his disciples life and ministry is characterized by eating and drinking and sharing meals. And I want us to spend the next few weeks asking a couple of questions and really exploring the answer. Why? Why did Jesus choose something as ordinary as food and drink to communicate his extraordinary person and purpose? That's what he's doing many times in these meals. He's communicating That he is extraordinary through something quite ordinary. And then what is it? What is it about a shared meal that embodies grace and the gospel and mission and community? So the first meal that we're looking at is this meal with Levi. Levi and and the societal riffraff. And I have two main thoughts that I'd like you to consider. I want you to first consider this meal begins with a grace-filled invitation. The meal begins with a grace-filled invitation, but the invitation doesn't come from Levi, the eventual host. It comes from Jesus. So imagine, imagine if I said to you, I'd like to get to know you. Why don't you prepare a really nice meal at your place and invite a bunch of people over and we'll spend some time getting to know one another? I mean, that'd be odd text doesn't say this explicitly but after Jesus says follow me at some point Levi had to say hey follow me let's go to my place Levi's the one who who hosts the meal Levi is the one who has this feast prepared but Jesus is the one who extends the invitation because this is more than a meal it's a it's a on the surface there really isn't much Approaches Levi and says, "Follow me." Levi follows. But beneath the surface, the gospel is beginning to do it. so. Here's what you have to understand. Here's here's the backdrop, the context. This encounter it, it happens near the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it was a it was a place of commerce, a place a place where shipments came and went. Syria and Egypt and the Romans had established it as a port of entry so that they could they could tax and tariff the merchandise that came through this port. And the collections agent at this particular port was Levi. Do you, do you have the scene? They're, they're near the seashore. It's got customs office right off the water. It's a place the Romans had set up to tax the goods that came in and customs agent there is Levi. Levi is a Jewish man who's working for the Romans. There were were many like Levi. There were many Jews who worked as tax collectors for the Romans, and they were hated by their countrymen. Jews absolutely despised tax collectors. They regarded them as enemies of God. That's why you frequently see the phrase in the Gospels together, tax collectors and sinners. Sinners is sort of a catch-all phrase for Gentiles, and the Jews regarded Gentiles as as dogs, and and tax collectors were just one step up from Gentiles. So tax collectors like Levi were hated. What would happen is the Roman emperor would establish a national territory. On top of that, tax collectors were allowed to add additional taxes, of course, to line their own pockets. And so Levi was despised as a traitor because he served the Romans, and he was despised as a crook because he squeezed every coin he could from his countrymen. Without that context, without understanding who Levi is, that that he is a Jew, but he's despised by his fellow Jews. He's a turncoat, he's a traitor, he's a crook. This this invitation, this encounter seems fairly bland, but with that context, it's absolutely remarkable that Jesus, a Jew, approaches Levi, a Jew of the most hated order, and he doesn't say in a harsh tone, you know, stop what you're doing, you traitor, and he doesn't say, you need to find a new line of work, he says, follow me. I think we miss the gracious emphasis of Jesus' invitation when we focus too much on the word follow as a command. And I've been doing this. I even preached a sermon on this once that I wish I could take back. Um, When you preach long enough, you'll have plenty of those sermons. You're like, man, what was I thinking there? See, the word follow, it, it is in the imperative mood and it is a command. But it's not a harsh demand. So when you're reading words, do you hear, does your ear hear Jesus saying, you, Levi, you follow me right now? Or do you hear Jesus saying, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, Levi, come along with me. And you know, I hear the latter. I hear Jesus saying, Levi, I, I know that you were hated. And I, I know that you expect me to hate you. Perhaps you even hate yourself for what you're doing and who you've become. Well, that isn't going to stop me. Come along with me. I find it interesting that after Jesus invited Levi to to come along with him, the next scene, the very next scene, finds them eating and drinking together. Jesus doesn't take Levi to a reserved conference room to begin an intensive discipleship course. That's not what's the heart of this invitation. The heart of this invitation is, is a welcome into an intimate, dynamic relationship. When he says, follow me, is he saying, hey, follow me and be one of my disciples? Sure, that's all part of the context. But when Jesus speaks these, these gracious, grace-filled words, it's an invitation into a relationship relationship. For for Levi to truly know him and to be known by him. Where in the ancient world did people forge relationships and become known? They did so in the context of meals. When Jesus invites Levi to follow him and the next scene finds them feasting together. They're getting to know one another. And friends, Jesus speaks the same words to you. He speaks the same words to you. He says, come along with me. He knows all of your baggage. He knows it all. He knows all of your sins and shortcomings. And he doesn't come to you with a word of condemnation, but with a grace-filled invitation. It says, you can be known. And he doesn't extend this grace-filled invitation once, and then once you've followed him, he stops inviting you every day, every day, Jesus speaks to you and says, Come along with me. Jennifer Bigler was in the office this week and we were chatting a little bit. We had a little nice conversation. And I don't I kind of walked in and stumbled into it, and Jason and Sarah and Jennifer were talking. And Jason says, Hey, you were you were a Baptist back in the day. How many times did you re- rededicate your life? And I said, Oh, every summer at least, but more than likely every Sunday. And you know, I used to I used to look at that and sort of think it was foolish, but the more I think about it, we talk about every Sunday, every day being a moment for repentance and and, and renewed faith. That we don't repent one time and then move on, but that all of life, as Luther said, is a life of repentance. That we're seeing our sin and repenting daily and we're placing faith in Christ anew every day. And so the idea of renewing and rededicating our walk with Christ actually maybe there's something to it not the way I did it but there is something to it and Jesus speaks these words to us saying come along with me and this is his invitation every day folks he welcomes you to know him better and to be fully known by him and that's why as Jason mentioned a moment ago in our welcome that's why that's why we never stop talking about the grace of God that's why we never stop reminding one another about the grace of God because that is who Jesus is and who he invites us to be, a people of grace. And this grace-filled invitation is the way that he comes to us. The way that he comes to Levi, knowing all of the context, a hated Jew, a traitor, a crook, Jesus knows all of that. He, he, he's well acquainted with the, the backstory. story. That doesn't stop him. And he says, Levi, come along with me. You can be truly known. And you can know me. And Jesus offers the same invitation to us. I know your sin and shortcomings. I know your baggage. I know what others think of you, maybe what you think of yourself. That's not going to stop me. It's this grace-filled invitation. This, the second thought that I want you to consider is that this grace-filled invitation leads to a grace-filled celebration. So, so I want you to understand what's taking place here um, this is more than an ordinary meal. It's more than an ordinary meal. It's more than a cheese and hors d'oeuvre mixer. This is a feast. In fact, the, word that, the words that Luke used to describe it here in verse 29, and Levi made a great feast. That word feast is most often translated in the New Testament as banquet. As banquet. So does that cause you to view this just a little bit differently? And this is not a hastily thrown together meal. This is a, a great banqueting feast. So I want you to try to imagine the scene with me, to sort of picture it in your mind's eye. Levi, he didn't have the ability to send evites, of course. He, he, the, the only way to, to invite his co-workers and colleagues, these other tax collectors, to, to invite the town's riffraff, uh, was to send out servants. As a tax collector, he would have been in a little higher tax bracket himself. He, would, uh, he was quite wealthy. And so he inevitably had a handful of servants, and he would have sent a couple of his servants out saying, I want you to get word. I want you to get word to my coworkers and colleagues and people on the margins. And I want you to invite them to this great banquet. Of course, that takes time. Right? Getting word out takes time. And, of course, he couldn't just place a large to-go order at Charleston's, right? The, the whole thing takes time. It takes time to get word out. It, it takes time to, to prepare this feast. And so imagine it like this. A couple of Levi's servants are, are going throughout the community. And they're inviting, they're inviting people to this meal. They're inviting people to this feast. At the same time, another couple of servants are, are laboring in the kitchen. And, and they're preparing this, this multi-course meal. Luke calls it a great feast elsewhere in the New Testament. It's called a banquet, sometimes a reception. And it takes time. And so what are Jesus and Levi doing? Well, they're, they're sharing a glass of wine and they're talking. And they're getting to know one another. And perhaps while they're waiting... Um, And the meals being prepared, there's a knock at the door. Levi goes to answer. Hey, Frank! So glad you could make it. Come on in. Hey, Frank, this is uh, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is my coworker, Frank. Uh, We he actually trained me when I was first became a tax collector. But now I work at booth number seven. He works at booth 13. We don't see each mother as much as we used to. Our kids play soccer together on Sunday. So we still run into each other. But um, I'm glad you could make it, Frank. Can I I offer you a glass of wine? And they would have sit there and talked. And one by one, uh, Levi's co-workers show up. (laughs) A group of despised traders who were gathered for a banquet of grace. There's another group present as well. I love love the way the text says this. Luke, the author, calls them others, tax collectors and others. But when the Pharisees speak of them, they say, tax collectors and sinners. These were Gentiles. By this time in history, the Old Testament dietary laws for Jews had been ramped up beyond belief. So so God established certain dietary laws in the Old Testament, but by this time, those dietary laws had been ramped up beyond belief by the Pharisees and by the Essenes. The the list of things that you could and could not eat, the list of ways that you could and could not eat, the list of people with whom you could and could not eat, were as long as the, the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. Have you seen that thing? the great American novel. It's hard to find uh, anything to eat because it's overwhelming. That was was how eating uh, was done by these strict, adherent Jews. The list of things you could and couldn't eat and the ways that you had to go about eating and the washing and purification and the rituals and the people with whom you could and couldn't eat. And here's Jesus breaking all those customs. He's having a banquet with despised Jewish traitors and unclean, sinful Gentiles. And it's not a quick come and go thing. This is a meal that lasts long into the evening. They sat and they ate and they drank for hours. The setting's a celebration. What are they celebrating? Why was this meal so special? These are tax collectors. No one threw a party for them. These are Jews of the most hated order. No Jewish teacher would associate with them, let alone treat them with kindness and grace. And These are Gentiles who were natural enemies with Jewish tax collectors, but in Jesus' grace-filled feast, they had a common cause for celebration. Two chapters later, that's where we read that the, the, uh, the Pharisees had pejoratively said about Jesus, look at him, a glutton, and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. One author in commenting on that phrase says, we learn that Jesus' excess of food is an enactment of his excess of grace. Why was he known this way? For for, for constantly having lavish meals and for being one who who gave himself to food. That's That's a display of grace ancient world, meals were relationally driven. They were symbolic of association. Scott Barty says, being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. And meals were also always the beginning of reconciliation. The last month, uh, instead of having our our normal Tuesday evening elder meeting, which we normally do, Um, we had a working lunch up here at the church. Um, Our schedules didn't permit our normal Tuesday evening monthly meeting, and so we had a working lunch, and everybody brown-bagged it, the guys did, and and we we met for 90 minutes or so. And and I think the guys would tell you this, it wasn't really an intimate get-to-know-you kind of meal. It was practical. We had some things to do, and so we were eating and talking between bites. But every once in a while, the elders the elders will have this intimate meal together with our wives the last dinner was hosted by bruce and Ann and we ate great food we drank great wine and after dinner the guys at least smoked great cigars and and we talked late into the evening that's the kind of meals that jesus participated in not these you don't you don't see jesus having working lunches Meals are relationally driven. They're a place of intimacy to know one another and be truly known. And whenever whenever a relationship is broken, meals are the first thing that would happen on the way to reconciliation. Here in Luke 5, this meal represents more than intimacy between uh, Jewish enemies or intimacy between Jew and Gentile. It's intimacy and reconciliation with God. This is a meal between Jesus, the son of man. The conqueror of the earth is what Daniel means when he writes that. This is Jesus, the son of God, dining with sinners. Of course, like they often do, the Pharisees begin to pitch a fit. And Jesus tells us what's at the heart of this meal. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a celebration of grace. This meal is a celebration of grace because those who have been far off from God have now been brought near through this meal. It's an enactment of grace. So I want to leave you with a couple of takeaways. We see this uh, grace-filled invitation. And really a grace-filled celebration. And I want to leave you with two takeaways, a couple things to consider. First of all, whenever the grace of God is celebrated, as it should be, whenever the grace of God is celebrated and people begin to feast, the grace police will always show up and try to break up the party. So in the New Testament, the grace police were the Pharisees. They wanted to break up any party that seemed to be getting out of hand. In our day, the grace police are those who don't want you to have too much fun as you walk with Christ. There's a well-known pastor in our denomination. And I was in a pastor's gathering a few years back. And um, I heard him say, you know, pastors shouldn't tell jokes and laugh. Jason, you're in a lot. Of,
1: <laughs> you're in a lot of trouble.
0: He says, "This is serious business we're about, men. Life and death, heaven and hell. Granted, it is. It is serious business. The grace police don't want you to have too much fun as you walk with Christ, or don't want you to to throw a party for sinners that might be misconstrued as worldly or." They'll regularly say, hey, grace Grace is good and all, but there's always a but. You know, grace police can sniff out a party from a mile away. So they're okay with you giving a gospel tract to a tax collector or a sinner. They're okay with you inviting them to an evangelistic rally, but they're not okay with you relationally binding yourself to sinners. That's what a meal does, at least in the New Testament. It's binding yourself in deep association with others. To spend real time with them, to be known, and to get to know them. And so don't be a grace police. You know, if you are, you'll find yourself on the outside going hungry, while Jesus is on the inside feasting with those who long for and appreciate his grace. the first the first takeaway is whenever the grace of God is made much of and celebrated as it always should be and whenever whenever good Christian people associate themselves with those on the margins or on the outside there will always be those who criticize there will always be those who uh, in because they think you should reject others will reject you don't approach it that way here's the second takeaway The second takeaway is just an invitation. Come to the table. Come to the table with Jesus. Are are you a mess? Then you're invited. Tim Chester, uh, he's the author of a book, A Meal with Jesus, where I've I've gotten uh, some of the thoughts for this sermon series. He writes, When Jesus eats with Levi... The message is clear. Now, some people don't like the message, but the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers. People on the margins. People who made a mess of their lives. People who are ordinary. In other words, Jesus has come for you. He's come for you. The only people left out are those who don't think they need God, the self-righteous and the self-important. But if you know that you are unrighteous, then there's a place at the table for you because Jesus tells us clearly that he came for the unrighteous. Jesus came to share a meal of grace with you so that you would know him and be truly known. This meal we celebrate about every other week, it's Jesus giving us himself living water, blood-red wine, fleshly bread, and the grace of the Father. That's what we get when we eat with Jesus. Let's let's thank him for that. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you uh, saw fit not to leave us in our need, but to send your son, your only begotten son. And and that same passage says that John 3, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he came to seek and to save the lost, Jesus did. But he came eating and drinking, to be known and knowing others. To associate to associate with people like us. And we're thankful. We're thankful for that. And let us, Lord, let us uh, come to Christ every day. Wanting to, to dine with him, to truly know him and be known more fully by him. to to celebrate with him the riches of his grace, and then, Lord, to celebrate with others, that this party would extend to others. And forgive us, Lord, forgive us, if we ever become guilty of approaching people like the Pharisees did. Lord, let us us be welcome. Let our arms and invitation extend as wide as Jesus'. And, Lord, let us be mindful and thoughtful as as we uh, gather tonight for this Supper together with our, our church friends and family. And then as we uh, will gather on Thursday with family and friends and, and have a great Thanksgiving meal, and then really meal after meal for the next five weeks. Um, all the all the feasts that we will have, as we as we go through those routines and do those things and, and really enjoy the company that you've given to us, would we look just to the to the moment, but even beyond the moment to see riches of your grace the riches of your grace that we see in these meals so lord do that spiritual work something extraordinary through something quite ordinary like eating and we ask all this in the name of christ amen